Hey everyone, welcome back to the Queen of Calm podcast. I'm your host, Paisley Haddad. So before we get started, I just have a few housekeeping items to go over. So if you're not following us already on social media, follow us at Queen of Calm podcast on Instagram and at Queen of Calm pod on Twitter. On Instagram, every Monday, I share my next upcoming guest. On Wednesdays, I share a clip from the episode and a link to where you can listen to the show. And I share all of my listener questions on our Instagram story, where I then share the results on each episode. So be sure to head to our Instagram so that you can see who's coming up and participate in our listener question polls. Um, Also, if you haven't already, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or now on Spotify as it's a new feature. Um, It would really mean a lot to me and to the show and would really give us a boost. So if you're loving the show, if you love the guests, please head to Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave us a quick review. Finally, I'm not sure if you're all aware of this, but you can leave me a voicemail and you can ask questions for me or my guests. You can send in topics or your own industry insights. So be sure to head to the link in our Instagram bio to visit where you can send in a voice memo and who knows, it may be used on the show. So now getting into this week's industry insights, but to share the results of last week's listener question polls, you all thought that podcasts should be considered radio and you all agreed that podcast ads should fit the type of podcast that they're being played on. And I totally agree with all of that. And I'm so glad that we all can have a consensus on this because as a podcaster, I can really see the value in making that connection with your audiences because podcasts are so hyper-specialized. You know, if someone's listening to a podcast about a certain subject, they're really putting themselves in that mindset and they really want to be, you know, listening to that type of podcast because with the abundance of podcasts out there in a variety of subjects, people have a variety to choose from. It's not like they don't have a choice of what they're listening to. So it's very intentional in who they're choosing to listen to. And going back to what we talked about in one of my past episodes, well, many of my past episodes about how, you know, through the pandemic and now going into 2022, you know, people are looking for that authenticity factor. They're looking to have a connection with the media that they're consuming. So, you know, for brands to not go after products and brand partnerships and, you know, different things to promote that don't align with their brand can seem sort of out of sorts to listeners and really break that connection. Because if someone feels that you you as a podcaster or even an influencer or somebody that is promoting a product and it doesn't seem like you actually use it, you're going to lose that authenticity connection between you and your audience. And I think with podcasts, it's so important to make that connection because you want people tuning in every week and coming back and listening to what you have to say and also to, you know, cement yourself as with your own personal brand for the podcast in the industry that you're talking about. So I think that it was a great conversation to have. And I'm, of course, as a podcaster, very fascinated to hear more on this. So I'll be following up on that and I'll be back with more in- with more updates if I have any. But as for this week's industry insights, I wanted to talk about an ad age article that came across my LinkedIn page. So this is all about Jack in the Box's new campaign for their St. Patrick's Day Shake. Now, let me preface this by saying I am a Shamrock Shake girl through and through. Um, You know, I wouldn't stray from to any other shake. Not that I have a shake all the time from McDonald's, but, you know, we all know that March is Shamrock Shake season. There's no doubt about it. So Jack in the Box is looking to shake things up this March, and they came out with their own St. Patrick's Day Shake. And part of their campaign is that they're going to be having a map on their website called Don't Get Mixed Shammed. And they're going to be using data from different McDonald's locations to geomap where different McDonald's locations are, where the ice cream machine is most likely to get broken, the most times that people have gone to try to get a McFlurry and the machine's been broken. And they're putting signage up and doing different um, you know, PR tactics to kind of say like, well, would you rather go to somewhere where the machine's always in always in service, not never broken to get your shake or go to somewhere that's very, you know, unreliable. Now I know that in fast food marketing, PR, social media, there's always that spirit of sparring between different brands like Wendy's versus Burger King going back and forth on Twitter. But I think this is kind of messing with tradition. Um, I think people love their shamrock shakes. I think they love the tradition of going to get it every March. And so just in my personal opinion, I don't think this campaign is as effective as something else they could have done to really promote their shake on their own terms. But what do you all think? Do you think this is an effective way of using their marketing and PR budget? Do you think that the narrative fits in with what they're trying to do? Let me know in our listener question poll on our Instagram and I'll share the results next week. 
But as for today's episode, I'm so excited for you to hear from my guests. And yes, I said guests plural because I have two fabulous guests on today to talk all about SEO. Now, you know, I've always heard about SEO in college and post-college and people always talking about how it's being integrated into TikTok and how you can utilize that in a PR strategy. But I hadn't known the ins and outs of it like my two guests share today. They are so knowledgeable on the subject and they're very successful in their field. So I'm so excited for you all to hear from them and really gain some insights on SEO because I think this is going to be something that in 2022 that we're all going to be have to be aware of in all facets of communications. So be sure to stay tuned for the interview. My next guests are sisters who also happen to be SEO experts at Pillar 4 Media and Red Ventures ZDNet. Please welcome Angela and Melody Petula to the podcast. Welcome, ladies. So glad to have you on. Thanks, Paisley. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having us. Of course. So why don't we get started with how you both get interested in communications as well as the SEO work that you both work in? Yeah, I can go first. Um, So I, this is Melody. I um, first got interested in business. That was really like the direction that I wanted to go. Um, I went to business school and when I was an undergrad and to be completely honest, I originally applied for a paid search job and it was with a digital marketing agency um, and kind of midway through the interview process, as I was describing my interests and um, the types of work that I wanted to work on, they kind of said, I think you might be more interested in SEO. And they moved me over to the SEO track. And it really was a perfect fit for me because I really like big ambiguous problems where, I, where there's really never one clear right answer, um, helps me tap into more of my creative side. And so I thought it was a great fit and it was the first job offer I got straight out of college. So I took it and moved three hours away from my college to Charlottesville, Virginia and started my first job at a company called RKG, which was then acquired at a digital marketing agency. Yeah, and so my story sort of picks up where hers ended. Um, I did know I wanted to go into marketing. I like the sort of psychological aspect behind a lot of marketing and how it blends business and psychology. Um, And so when I was looking at jobs, I currently live in Alabama. I went to school in Birmingham and I just wasn't finding the sort of thing I wanted to do. Um, And so Melody reached out to me. I was talking to her about like my struggles with finding a job. And she said, I think you'd really like it here. Plus, if you apply, I'll get a referral bonus if you get a job, so (laughs) might as well do it. So I didn't really know what SEO was, and I just sort of followed in the footsteps. Uh, The more I learned about it, I really liked it. And I think it's the more I know about it now, especially, it's such a strong opportunity to grow a brand. And that growth aspect is really a big thing of what I'm interested in. Um, So I also uh, went to the digital marketing agency side first. Um, It was after it was acquired. Um, And so I jumped in at like a pretty big start working with like uh, Fortune 500 companies. Well, that's awesome. And I feel like I say this in all my episodes when everyone shares how they got into communications, like you never know what's going to happen within your career. I mean, you can plan so much in college and what you want to major in and, you know, what you want to go into and for an internship and all that. But it's so funny how you both got to connect on that level, especially as sisters and do the same type of work. Absolutely. It's funny because um, we're about five years apart and at all stages of life, there was always this point where like Angela was kind of interested in the things that I was interested as her as her older sister, I guess. And so um, when she started college and she was like, I'm interested in business, I'm interested in marketing. I was here we go again. But, uh, you know, once we got to that point of graduation, it was more exciting, like maybe you can come work with me. And then we got to work, actually work together and we worked on some of the same clients. And I I think it's a really unique story that's very reflective of us and our dynamic, but it was a lot of fun working together, I think. (laughs) Well, so you both talked about college and your answers and you were just touching on her going into college and wanting to get into marketing. So what were both your college experiences like and how did that prepare you to join the industry? Yeah, so my college experience 
experiences pretty different from Melody's. I went to a very tiny liberal arts school in Birmingham called Birmingham Southern. Um, so I graduated with less than 300 people to really put it in perspective there. So the majors that you had available were limited. We didn't even have a marketing major at the time. So I had to do business, um, even though, apologies, this is my cat, um, but I had to do business, even though I knew I wanted to go into the marketing side. So I really focused my efforts on finding uh, relevant internships. Um, and so I leveraged like the alumni uh, to be able to find those opportunities. So I first did an internship with the nonprofit during a January term. Um, I actually focused a little bit on paid search and content. Um, because they were just growing. It's a non or it helped nonprofits. It wasn't necessarily directly a nonprofit. Um, and then the other one I worked with was actually a very different look. It was more of B2B marketing um, for a large bucket truck company. So not necessarily the glamorous side, but that's where I focused a little bit more on communications. I worked on some of the internal communications in addition to um, putting out press releases for when we launched a new bucket truck and whatnot. Um, and that's where I decided I liked more of the content distribution side of things um, and actually like creating that content and making sure it reaches the right audiences. Yeah, my college experience was similar, but a little bit different. I went to a larger school, but still small. Um, I graduated from Wake Forest University. So Go Deeks. Um, it was in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and we had a great business program. So I knew that that was the direction I wanted to go. And we had the opportunity to concentrate in marketing, but it, we didn't have a, a marketing major. Um, so that's what I did. And I also did an internship. Um, I, I did feel like the business program there prepared me pretty well for work. And um, the internship was a required part of our curriculum. You had to do one in between your junior and senior years. Um, so I actually ended up interning at a little tiny boutique communications agency that, did, I mean, they might've done a tiny bit of SEO, but they were more so in the social and PR space. Um, so while I was there, I mean, it was interesting because a lot of my friends were interning at these, at like Deloitte and McKinsey and these like massive places, consulting firms and, um, here I am working alongside like 10 to 15 people at this boutique agency, but it gave me a lot of movement around different aspects and a lot of ownership over some of the work that was being done for clients and, and building out new things from scratch because they had never had them before. So it helped me kind of create those problem solving muscles. And that ended up being a huge um lever for me to pull or reference in a lot of my interviews when I was looking for a job. But I also worked a lot. I mean, I, I like got my first job at 14 and always had a job, whether it was like waiting tables or working in a coffee shop. So I worked all through college as well as a part of our work study program. And I think that that also, I was able to, to be like the general manager of our on-campus coffee shop. And for me, that was like, the most valuable learning experience because it was it was me overseeing all of these different moving pieces for a real business. I mean, it was work study, but it was still a real business and we were looking at real financials and trying to generate money. And so, I don't know, I think that um, even outside of just what I learned in my classes, that was like a huge factor for me, a huge learning experience for me that I still believe to this day, like really helped me on the business side. Well, I love how you both mentioned those out of the classroom experiences, because that is such an important part. And I feel like our work as students and even business and marketing and communications, we always have that room in our curriculum to be doing those you know, things outside of our major. So in college, I definitely took advantage of all the different clubs and internships, just like you both did. And so speaking more for listeners who maybe want to get into SEO after graduation, what goes into your roles now in the industry and what you do in your day-to-day -day work? So um, you know, if they want to join the industry and want to take on an SEO job, what they can expect. Maybe I'll start with just kind of like an overview of what SEO is, because I think it's it's like a dark art. Not many people know exactly <laughs> what SEO is, um, but at its core, SEO is helping a website 
be better optimized for a search engine. Normally Google, but you can also hear SEO referenced on new platforms that are coming out. Um, but traditionally Google, we're trying to help them rank better on Google. And as Google got more sophisticated, um, there became a lot of new factors that at the inception of the internet were not, didn't really matter. So now you've got things like um, the, your authority in the space or your reputation online or um, the amount of expertise that you can demonstrate on your website that help you rank. And it has really blossomed into this like mega industry that touches everything from how the website is actually developed at a code level all the way through the editorial practices and the content strategies that you're using um, that are you know, facing towards the user. So um, it, it's a really good question. It's also one that's hard to answer because <laughs> SEO is so broad, but in, I think like looking back on my college experience, if I had done one thing differently, or maybe it, the, the pieces that I think were most useful in the classroom were Excel. Like, I don't think I would have been able, it would have taken me a lot longer to ramp up at my job if I wasn't comfortable using Excel. And I'm surprised that there are still colleges out there that don't like teach basic Excel skills as um, a part of the required curriculum, regardless of major, because I think that it's such a powerful tool. So if you're not getting Excel exposure, like that would be my number one recommendation is get really good at Excel. And there are tons of free courses that you can take on that. And then I also think that um, the classes that challenged me to think about real world examples and not just academic examples as a way to apply what we were learning, that was the biggest driver for helping me flex the muscle of like thinking outside the box and, and problem solving in a real world situation. Because in reality, um, there's, there are a lot of best practices for SEO, but like you can never really do the best practice. There's always a caveat. There's always like a reason that you have to do something different. And so the magic of it really comes in um, picking the best plan B. And if you can get yourself in the habit of like thinking through those real world considerations, it helps you be way more effective, way faster when you're actually trying to do it in the workplace. Yeah, um, ditto to everything Melody just said. <laughs> um, I'm thinking through like what would have really helped me. Definitely agree with Excel because my school is one of those that at the time didn't teach Excel school. So I made sure I really sharpened those, learned pivot tables and VLOOKUPs ahead of time just to really be prepared. Um, I think the ability to look at data and pull out an insight that others can understand is a super valuable school, skill, whether you're going into SEO or any other type of marketing or communications, really, um, because you know, you're talking to clients or even if you're working internally like I am right now, I'm still talking to the other people who don't understand the data I'm looking at and they just want to know what does it mean. And if you can provide that insight um, in a way that they can understand, interpret, and then action off of that, that's wildly valuable. So just getting familiar with big data sets, recognizing trends. I know it's like a little bit difficult in college where you may not have that data available, but you could go poke around in like Google Trends, for example, a completely free tool, and just look at like search seasonality and trends and think, how could I use that to help someone else? Um, and really understanding like, okay, so this is peaking in January. So we'd want to launch that content then because more people are searching it and that sort of thing. So that's like a very specific example of like how you can analyze that data and pull out an insight, but that's definitely very valuable. And then Melody alluded to this a little bit, but, um, prioritizing, it sounds so simple, but at the end of the day, there's business is pulling you in a million different directions and you have to know what the effort versus the impact of different things are going to be. Um, and just thinking through stuff like that, like it, there could be this big blue sky of options that you could pursue um, to help with SEO or your marketing. Um, but in reality, how many of those can you actually do in a timely manner that's going to have an impact? Um, and thinking through that like real world example, like she was saying. Yeah, those yeah, are 
those examples can come from anywhere. Like they don't, it doesn't have to be a skill that you learn in, in school. I think like when you're in an interview, you can reference how you've had to prioritize at work or in your classes or just in your life generally, but like completely agree with Angela. That's a huge skill that we are constantly looking for when we're hiring as well. Yeah, those are such interesting tips and insights you both shared because I feel like being a PR and journalism major when I was in college, I kind of only hit on that surface level aspect of SEO and really didn't get to hear the nitty gritty like you guys work in day to day. And so it's so interesting to hear all about that data. And especially in my work now, I work for a PR agency and we've had clients ask us in the past, you know, what can we be doing with SEO? And to hear, Angela, you share that tip about, you know, having that data that everyone can understand. I think that's so valuable, especially in today's world with all these different search engines and wanting to be at the forefront of everyone's minds online. So I think that's so interesting that you both shared that. Yeah, definitely. So I wanted to talk with you both about TikTok SEO because, you know, they're now starting to get into the game with those keyword searches and they're going to be now on Google and other um, search engines. So what do you both think of that? And, you know, how can this really benefit brands? Yeah, so TikTok is an interesting one. Um, I'll go ahead and say I don't have any uh, actual experience doing the TikTok SEO, but I've read up on it plenty. Um, you know, the world, the ind marketing industry, you're always learning about all the different new tools and platforms to use. Um, but I definitely think it's beneficial as the search engine become search engine being TikTok itself becomes more sophisticated. It's going to be even more important to really understand how are you getting that visibility. Um, and so like hashtags are going to be super important and understanding what your audience is interested in. Um, and then the other thing I'll say is making sure you're upgrading to that pro account so you can actually get analytics. Um, it should be free to be able to do, and you can look at where everyone is coming from, how you're they're engaging with your videos. And so that way you can look at them, see which ones that people are actually like paying attention to and marry that with the insights of what do people, are they actively searching for? Because it's all about that balance. Like you want them to find it but then you want them to engage with it once they found it. Um, so using those tools that are available um, to you and making sure addressing what people are interested in. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna add to this in kind of an interesting way because I have such little experience with TikTok, <laughs> which is probably dating me. Like I am not a TikToker. <laughs> um, but I think it's so interesting that you asked this question because. Um, there are always, I, it seems like every year there's like a new platform that everyone is searching on in general, and you can apply SEO principles to all of them. So first it was YouTube SEO, like that was going to be the next big thing is figuring out how to show up on YouTube, especially given the fact that YouTube doesn't really share much about how their algorithm works. And then it was Amazon SEO. And like, how do you get, if you're selling products on Amazon, how do you show up higher when people search for toilet paper or whatever they're searching for to order on Amazon? Um, and then there are these smaller ones like Etsy and um, other marketplaces that people are using just as much, if not more, if it's their preferred method of consuming that content or, you know, shopping for products. So um, it, you can imagine how how big the consideration set gets when you're trying to think about how to optimize for all of these different platforms. But I find that like in general, um, most platforms start at the keyword level. Like that is, that is the simplest form of SEO is making sure whatever copy you have in your descriptions and your titles or in your hashtags, that they're aligned with what people are actually searching for. Um, and that's, that's like the crux of Google as well. Um, so there are always tools at your disposal that can give you hints about how users search. Um, Angela mentioned Google Trends. A lot of times we run into issues where um, you don't know how people are searching on TikTok, for example, versus on Google. Like there might be differences between the trends that you see on TikTok versus on Google. But in general, if you're trying to get an understanding of what words people use more than others, you can always kind of use Google as a proxy. Like that was always our, our, um, our tip was just to 
assume that the trends are going to be similar enough that you can use data from Google to inform everything else. Um, so like like Angela said, Google Trends is a great tool to use to kind of compare how people are searching. Um, and there are tons of other tools out there if you do a couple of Googles. Um, but yeah, I think that the keyword level is like first and foremost. And then if there are any other best practices that the platform offers, like I know on Etsy, they have a whole seller's guide that kind of illustrates at a base level, at least how their search engine works. And, and you can use some of those tips to try, try and rank higher. And I know TikTok is kind of its own thing because, you know, it's got the engagement algorithm and feeding you stuff that the algorithm knows that you like. So it's, of course, going to have its own nuances too. But um, yeah, keywords are usually a good, good place to start. Yeah. yeah. So Sorry, go. Can go. <laughs> okay. Um, I was just going to say one last thing on the keyword front, just as a pro tip, if you're sort of getting started into any SEO, whether it's on TikTok, Google, what have you, um, don't fall into the trap of chasing the biggest, most searched for thing out there. Because if you're just getting started, in reality, you're probably not going to rank strongly for it when there's so many other big players. So look for those niches within it. So if you're on, you're creating cleaning content on TikTok, don't go straight for hashtag cleaning. <laughs> Maybe go a little bit more specific, like cleaning your dishwasher or something about the washing machine. Like what are you cleaning or how are you cleaning it? Um, or to, whatever is relevant to your brand. If exactly. You're a brand. Yeah. Um, just because that's, that's something we see people try and chase like the, most popular thing out there, but it's so competitive that it's hard to stand out. So sometimes niching down is the way to go. Yeah, well, I find everything that you just shared so fascinating because I it seems to me just from an outsider's perspective, you know, on TikTok, sometimes when you put a video out there, it kind of goes into that big abyss and you're like, how come people aren't seeing it? And so it's so interesting how you bring up, you know, not going after that, you know, most trended um, hashtag that's out there or, you know, going and being more specific and finding that niche and everything you shared. So I just find that that's such a cool process and definitely what you said about all keeping up with all those different platforms. I can imagine that must be so, uh, you know, hard to know what's going on day to day. Cause even on TikTok, I just noticed as like a daily user, you know, they added the TikTok search at the, the, the keyword search at the top. And then the next day, when you went to make a video, like they had add some words so that people can find you. And it feels like there's a new something being added on there every day. And even with like Instagram reels and how it's all being merged with Facebook, it's just so uh, crazy. And even in PR, like we've been talking about a lot is that now we have to worry about more than just our traditional media relations as well. And we have to worry about all these different platforms changing as well to make our work, you know, with journalists relevant. 100%. There's never a dull moment. Yeah. <laughs> Love it or hate it. Never a dull moment. <laughs> and speaking of journalism, so um, Melody, I know you work with Red Ventures, so I'm sure you dabble in the world of, you know, journalism, SEO all the time. So from that journalism perspective, you know, how does SEO fit into that process for um, these outlets to get their stories to the top of these uh, search engines? Yeah. Um, for those that don't know, Red Ventures is a large media company um, that operates globally. And we own a lot of brands like CNET, Bankrate, Lonely Planet, um, The Point Sky. So we certainly have published, like published, the publishing space is really our jam. Like that's, that's what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so it has been interesting coming over to a publisher from the agency side, because my background was always in e-commerce. E and we worked with uh, content teams, but it's not really the same as working with journalists. Like that is a, a totally different world, especially when you're operating at the kind of scale that we're operating at and publishing hundreds and hundreds of articles a month. So it's one thing I've learned is it's a collaborative effort and you cannot discount the knowledge and expertise of the journalists. Ultimately, we are offering content content is our product. And that's fundamentally different than an e-commerce brand. Um, on the e-com side, even if we were writing content, it would be search driven. We try and include the biggest keywords. And I was working with Fortune 500, so we could usually rank for those massive keywords. And 
moving over to the publishing side, it's, you know, you might want to be a bit more of a tastemaker. Like you're, you might be talking about topics that don't even really, people aren't really searching for yet. They don't know that they need this content. And so we've tested a lot of different things and, um, you know, coming in with my SEO background, one of my thoughts was, well, what if we started including more of these keywords? What if our headlines became a bit more generic? And what we found is that that's not always the winning solution. Even if people are going to Google to look for content around these big topics, if you lose the flavor that those journalists bring, then it's detrimental. I mean, like that's what people are coming to you for. So it's definitely been a collaborative effort in figuring out what um, tools and resources and best practices we can offer the journalists to be helpful and help them make smart decisions about what's going to do well in search while completely preserving their editorial integrity and giving them the freedom um, to flex their creative muscles and go after the stuff that they think is interesting. Yeah, and I know for me, I also work at um, like a media holding company, but it's a bit of a smaller scale than that of CNET and Lonely Planet. I work in the big, exciting world of mattresses. So <laughs> our journalism isn't um, quite breaking news usually, but we we use SEO to help prioritize some different things, um, like especially if we only have resources to pursue one out of five stories, then we'll sort of cross-reference that with what is most relevant to what people are searching. Or again, I love Google Trends. We'll throw them into Google Trends and see what's like the highest trending one um, to make sure we're capitalizing on the most search interests that we can and getting the most bang for our buck. Um, we also use Google Alerts pretty regularly um, just to keep up with what new studies are coming out that have to do with sleep uh, that we could report on. Um, and that anything that has to do with the search engine is tangentially related to SEO, even if it's not directly helping it rank, but get uh, like staying on top of all of those different trending topics um, and making sure we have a presence in it, whether it's just having a landing page that's going to rank in Google when someone searches like, I don't know, some sort of new mattress on the market um, or showing up in, have you seen like the news carousels on mobile? Um, we want to make sure we have placements there because that's a high visible, highly visible place. Um, and so targeting topics that make sense that are fresh and shows that we keep up with the times is going to be really important. Yeah, that, that that's some more interesting stuff you share. I feel like I'm learning so much about SEO that I didn't know before. And from somebody who spends a lot of their day doing research for clients who are in such niches and different industries, I truly appreciate the work you guys do with making sure that the journalists who are writing about stories that we're looking to target are, you know, very targeted and making sure in the right industry and coming up with relevant news at the top. So um, I feel like that's such an interesting part of the PR process as well as that. Um, relationship between SEO and PR professionals looking to connect with journalists. So from a PR perspective, where can SEO fit into a communications campaign? That's a great question. Angela, you <laughs> want to take a first stab at that one? Yeah, I can. Um, there are a few different ways that we go about digital PR for our company. Um, there's the traditional what you think of it, building our brand, getting our name out there. Um, and so we have Again, we really try and get the most bang for our buck because there are limited resources out there. So if we do something that's PR related, we're going to cross-reference it with that keyword re research, with what what's trending and what people are interested in. Um, and so we're actually like working on collaborating with other brands and leveraging their audiences with what we know users are interested in learning more about um, to reach a wider audience that we may have been able to reach otherwise. Um, the other, I guess, maybe less traditional PR route, it, it's one of those things where sometimes it's referred to as PR, sometimes content marketing, who knows, uh, but we create a lot of like resources and guides um, where we do outreach to um, like acquire backlinks and whatnot. Um, and so that is a very strong uh, SEO and PR relationship there because Backlinks directly impact SEO in your rankings. Every link that you get from another site, and a backlink is, if someone doesn't know, it's a link from another site pointing to yours. Um, every link that you get is a vote of confidence 
in Google's eyes. It says that like, we trust you. We think that you're gonna be good to rank. Um, so the more links that you're getting through PR efforts, it is directly impacting um, SEO and how you're ranking. So you, you want to make sure PR and SEO are intertwined like that because they're just as related like for us as it is for search engines. Yeah, hundred percent. I second everything Angela said about backlinks. I mean, that's like, I think there's a whole movement happening in SEO right now where um, earning these backlinks used to be seen as like the grimy SEO work. It was the stuff <laughs> that like, man, maybe it's a little spammy and like, you definitely don't want to be buying your links, but that was like the work that no one wanted to do because it was hard work. And now there's a whole movement where uh, this concept of digital PR is resurfacing as like the new backlink generator channel. Um, and it's, it's obviously PR based. Um, this is going out and looking for partnerships, but it's also looking for new pieces of content that you think might be buzzworthy that you can push out to different channels or, um, I don't know, you can look at places that used to link to you, maybe naturally, like maybe these aren't even partnership based, maybe they're just natural sources that happen to link to you because you're a, a credible source on your topic and, and trying to bolster that and make more contacts there and sending them more content that they might be interested in linking to in their content. Um, and it's been hugely successful for Red Ventures. I mean, we've got teams of people that do this now and that is crazy because like this didn't even really exist three years ago. So I think it's really interesting. And um, backlinks are ultimately like, in addition to keywords, backlinks are the other piece that has remained constant. Google has confirmed it's one of the top three ranking factors out of like hundreds and hundreds of ranking factors. So it's truly important. And um, personally, I think that's like kind of the future of SEO is, is trying to get better at um, having these integrated marketing campaigns that build your visibility online, build the velocity that you're attracting these links, um, merging offline and online efforts so that we can build the brand in both places. So yeah, I don't know. I'm really, I, I'm really into uh, the digital PR side these days. I think it's a really awesome movement for us. Yeah, I've been hearing from so many guests as I've, as I've been recording my second season that, you know, it's going to be all about, you know, being more targeted and more intentional and having that more well-rounded approach. So I'm so glad that you both brought that up of, you know, integrating so many ways of PR and these new digital, um, you know, marketing tactics and, and integrating that into a communications campaign, because I think clients are going to be, you know, asking for that in the new year. I feel like they're going to be wanting to be everywhere. I mean, I know that's kind of like a cliche in PR, how people don't like their clients say, we just want to be everywhere. But like, literally, it's just all the time you see brands, you see it on Facebook and TikTok, and it's, you know, taken over everywhere. So I feel like it's so important for everyone's brand that you're working with to be at the forefront of everyone's mind. So um, I love those insights you, you guys just shared. And I also want to talk about speaking of 2022, um, do you have any trends that you see on the horizon for the world? Now, now we're kind of into the new year, but for this new year. I think that, um, I don't know, there's so many. And I think a lot of the changes are like maybe a little, a bit longer than 2022. But one thing that we've been really focused on at Red Ventures across all of our platforms is this idea of Google rewarding sites that have high authority and a high degree of trustworthiness. Um, and it's, it's kind of like a black box because we know that it's important and Google has documentation stating that it's important. It's kind of like the framework that they, that they judge their own search results within. Like, are we serving brands that are trustworthy and authoritative? And they use that as a metric to judge whether or not they're doing a good job. Um, but at the same time, like, how do you quantify that? It's a very, very difficult, um, element to try and say if if you were going to feed this into an algorithm what would be what would you feed into the algorithm to know that a website is trustworthy um, and has a good reputation online 
So I think that that is going to be a continued focus for Google. We know that it already has been a focus, but I think we're going to start to see more elements get pulled into the actual algorithm. And I think there's going to be more thought leadership in general around how to start tracking that or how to start measuring whether or not you are trustworthy online. Um, and I'm really excited for all of those changes because I think it's just going to be great for the internet in general and I'm an avid user of it. So um, I'm pretty pumped for that to happen. But I think beyond 2022, something I've been saying for several years and hasn't totally happened yet. So maybe <laughs> maybe this year will be the year. I think that um, Google is going to put more investment into visual search and searching with images. And we've already seen them do that in some ways where you know, if you have a Pixel phone, you can take a picture of something and search Google for it, but it's not fully, that capability isn't fully realized right now for everyone, especially iPhone users. So I'm <laughs> hoping that that becomes a bit more, um, a bit more accessible and that there's, there are more features that change the way we search. Um, like if, if I really could take a picture of anything and search the internet for a pair of boots that look similar to those ones that my friend has, like, I think that would be so interesting. So hopefully 2022 will be the year. <laughs> you have been talking about the visual search for a few years now. <laughs> I hope that I want to search for everyone's clothes. Like, <laughs> make my life so much easier. <laughs> yeah, for me, there are two things that I'm going to predict are going to be big trends for this year. Um, the first one that, you know, you see all of these large media companies getting into every space they possibly can. Like Forbes used to be known as like a business magazine online. And now it's in, it's also in the world of mattresses alongside me. <laughs> Um, along with a ton of other things. Um, and so I think as more of these large businesses are realizing there's opportunity in these other niches that they didn't typically play in, I'm curious to see how the algorithm might treat that. Um, if it's going to put more of an emphasis on your topical authority and what you perceive yourself to be an expert in. And that comes down to all platforms, not just your content um, on your website, but like for TikTok, for example, are if you're trying to be like an influencer in cleaning TikTok, are you is all of your content about cleaning? Or are you <laughs> one about cleaning? Oh, here's my cat. Oh, I ate some good food at this restaurant. Here's um a recipe of how to make it. Um, so like really showing that you're authoritative and what you say you're authoritative in, and like making sure the content backs that up. I'm hoping as someone who works in one of the niche site or niche industries uh, that that topical relevance will be rewarded. But, you know, who knows with Google, it's always sort of a topic because to the point, you know, large companies like Forbes have all of these backlinks. They have all of these votes of trust from people. And so they're being rewarded for that. And that is really awesome. But are they topically authoritative in some of these areas that they're pursuing? And that's sort of a toss up question. Um, so that's one area, I guess that's not exactly like a prediction, more of a point of curiosity. Um, I don't know. I just want to say, I think Google is just bitter because CNET is coming for all the industries and they're, <laughs> in, the, they're in the mattress space too. And we've had discussions about, <clears throat> about this, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch it play out. Angela, we'll, we'll just have to see, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Paisley, some context here. While we did start at the same agency, we are now at ones that compete in the same uh, areas of Google. So <laughs> there's always like slight points of contention for us. Little sister vendetta there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But the, continue yeah. with your second insight. Totally fine. Um, so the <laughs> other thing I'm expecting is I've seen a really large increase in the number of AI content generators out there. Um, and which is really beneficial for small sites who may not have a lot of resources to hire freelancers or to hire internal writers to get content updated. But I'm curious to see what the use of those AI content writers actually looks like. Like, is it going to be basically the same sort of content across a bunch of different sites? And to Melody's point earlier, you know, talking about journalism and how people want that, like, flavor that the writers bring, I think that's going to be reflected in the content that we're creating. And I think it's going to be more noticeable, whether it's created by 
an AI or if it's created by someone who has a personality um, and what users actually end up preferring. Um, I think we're going to shift a bit more. I think Google's probably like, because Google's algorithm is so complicated, I suspect it might pick up on what content might've been created by an AI versus a real person. Um, and I'm curious to see like, how does that play out? I'm I'm thinking my hypothesis is the real people are gonna win, but <laughs> we will see. One would hope. <laughs> One would. <laughs> well, I'm crossing my fingers for all of your predictions to come true because I could use some uh, image search on Google to find those shoes and I could you know, use some better aggregation with content with my clients at work. So you guys are so knowledgeable on the subject. So thank you so much for coming on. But I just have a few more questions for you guys. Uh, but to kind of wrap up talking about like the SEO industry and everything, um, so we touched on college students, but I do want to talk about recent graduates who may have graduated this December or even last May. You know, what should they be expecting as they just are getting a job in SEO and how can they really stand out to move to the next level at their uh, job? Yeah, I would say um, in terms of SEO, because it is such a wide breadth of what it can be. The types of jobs really differ. Um, obviously agency and internal is going to be wildly different. Um, we both started at agency and I think that's a really great place for a college grad to start at because a lot of times they have really good training programs. You're going to get uh, the ability to learn about all the different aspects of SEO, whether that's content, which is actually what you're putting on the internet versus technical, which is helping Google find that content and making sure it's discoverable. Um, and so I think agencies are a really great place for uh, college grads to start. Um, that being said, the types of agencies out there vary. You might wind up at a local agency that focuses on Google My Business and making sure small companies are rated well, or you might wind up on a large one specifically designated for technical SEO. Um, so just getting an understanding of those different areas so you can make sure you're landing a job that is actually of interest to you um, and is going to give you what you're hoping to get out of it. It's going to be important. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I second the opinion that an agency is a great place to start. I think it's like boot camp. <laughs> I mean, obviously a lot of like, eventually Angela and I both left the agency world and went in-house and, um, you know, it can, it can be taxing. It's a, it's a really fast paced environment, but I think when you're young and you're eager and you've got so much energy coming out of college, like use it and go for an agency because the, just the amount of exposure that you get to all these different sorts of business problems and how different companies are structured. And um, usually if you join like a larger agency, you'll get exposure to all the different types of SEO. Um, you can do some of the technical stuff. You can do some of the content stuff. So um, it really helps uncover what your own interests are. Like I know from my perspective, coming out of college, it was like, what do I, what do I want to be when I grow up? Like I still didn't know what my what true passion really was. And having that job helped me realize the pieces that I loved and the pieces that I didn't love so much. So completely, completely agree with that. Um, I'll also say that Red Ventures is hiring. <laughs> we're, we're hiring like crazy. We're hiring for anything you want to do. We've got writers, we've got SEO, we've got um, business operations. If you want to do more like data analysis stuff, we've got editors, like we've got anything under the sun. So if you want to come on over and work for a major publisher, we have a lot of fun. We have like the best culture in the industry. Um, we've got offices all over the world. We would love to have you. Yeah. Anyone listening, if you need a job, <laughs> hit up Red Ventures. <laughs> you put Melody um, Petula down as your referral. <laughs> <laughs> well, I totally agree with you, what you guys said too, because, you know, a lot of different industries need our services. I mean, you can you can find SEO in any industry as well as PR and communications. And so it is so important to find that niche. And, you know, kind of going back to your stories of how you got interested in communications and marketing and business, you know, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, you never know what industry you're going to fall into, what you're going to fall in love with when you're working at the agency atmosphere. So I definitely agree with what you guys were saying. Um, but I have one final question to ask you guys. And it's something that I asked all my guests. Um, so I'm a big fan of Sophia Maruso and I don't know if you guys are familiar with her. Yeah, actually when you posed 
I think I know what you're going to ask and like <laughs> I was going to bring up her name so um yes very familiar like the best show on Netflix oh my god so inspiring so, but continue <laughs> so sad that they didn't get a season two um, but I always love to end the episode by, you know, giving shout outs to women who are doing great jobs and just to really uplift all the women around us in our industry. So Angela and Melody, who are your favorite girl bosses? And it can be more than one because we've had that in the past. So the more the merrier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I for me, like Sophia Amoruso, I think is amazing. And I felt so inspired watching the show Girl Boss that like, I have to put her on the list for one because that is just like, <laughs> I don't know, at some point in my future, I will have to start my own business because of how inspired I felt coming out of watching that show. Um, so she's definitely one. But also I think Stacy Brown, who was the creator of Chicken Salad Trick. Um, I don't know if this is just like a regional business or not. So <laughs> if, if there's anyone listening that doesn't know what this is, it is a chicken salad franchise and they have the best chicken salad. <laughs> and Angela and I are huge fans of podcast how I built this um we listened to all of the episodes and she has an episode about how she started her franchise and I just found it to be the most inspiring story ever of how she started making chicken salad in her house and peddling it to her friends as a way to just you know have another stream of income and um she hustled so much and I just think that and now she has a chicken salad empire like it is truly a chicken salad empire. <laughs> I just think it's amazing so if you haven't listened to that episode of how I built this strongly strongly recommend it's amazing it's funny you mentioned how I built this because <laughs> my girl boss is also from how I built this um it's Melissa Butler who is the founder of the lip bar um, so it's a lipstick brand. Um, I think they've moved into a lot of different cosmetics now, but they focused on like a lot of unique and different colors for lipsticks and whatnot. And just listening to her story, I think I'm drawn to similar things that Melody's drawn to, like that hustle and just like not giving up, running into so many barriers and finding a way to overcome it, being uh, solution oriented for all of our corporate people out there. Um, I, I really respect that. I think it's amazing and I really admire it. Um, so also go and listen to her episode of How I Built This. Yes, after you're all done listening to this episode, <laughs> head over there next. <laughs> um, but those are some great girl bosses that you both shared. Um, that's why I love this question. And I say the same phrase like every single episode, but I just learned about so many different people who I've never heard of. Like now I'm going to go and listen to those episodes and follow them on Instagram and everything. And definitely like you both were saying about, you know, having that entrepreneurial spirit and that hustle, you know, that truly is what a girl boss is. And so just thank you so much for sharing them. And thank you so much for coming on the show. You shared such great information that I'm sure my listeners will love. And, you know, it's so interesting for PR pros and, you know, comm students and all that to learn about the SEO side, because that is the future of our industry. So it's so great to get those insights that you both shared. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having us here. Yeah, this was wonderful. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Did you enjoy this episode? Head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Want to drop us a line? Click the link in our Instagram bio to leave us a voicemail. And who knows, it might even end up on the show. See you next week for more tips and tricks of the trade.